Good morning. From the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 24. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Terry. And thank you, Bellissimo and Joy Bells and Chancel Choir for the wonderful music and Brooke for the children's time and all of you upstairs who are making it possible for folks to see us and hear us. Thank you, those of you who've gathered in this beautiful sanctuary on this on this gorgeous Sunday. And so the journey's end is in sight. The land of extravagant generosity is just around the corner. And I hope no one is thinking about turning back at this point. We've traveled together so far, too far to even think about quitting. And once we're there, we'll be wondering, what took me so long to get here? Why didn't I strike out for this place a whole lot sooner than I did? It's almost like I was created, designed to live here in this land of milk and honey, this land of extravagant generosity. I'm pretty certain that I've never lived here before, but it all seems so familiar Being here is transforming from the inside out. The more focused I become, the more focused we become on the wants and needs of others, the fewer worries we seem to have. Extravagant generosity. It's a fine place to call home if you've not done so already. Our journey to extravagant extravagant generosity began two weeks ago. We talked about Ministry flows from the heart, the heart of giving. We talked about on that day biblical descriptions of what is the heart? What's the heart all about? What does the writer mean when, when they talk about the heart? And a reference point from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And in that passage, the writer was reminding Timothy and each of us not to be full of ourselves, And not to be obsessed with money. To go after God. Seeking the giver and not the gift. To do good. To be rich in helping others. To be extravagantly generous. Last week as we eased on down that road, we talked about the art of love. Relationships being matters of the heart. And our reference point was John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. In that passage, Jesus teaches us that they will know, others will know that we are disciples, that we are followers of our Lord by the love we have for one another. We had a triangle of reference points after that about inspiration and about vision for the future, how it's an inspiration of the heart 
What do we see in the days to come? Those reference points, one from the prophet Joel and one from the letter to the Colossians and the gospel according to Matthew. And in those three verses, we were offered direction as we considered the vision of this church in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. And we were instructed to set our heart on things that are above as well as setting or resetting our priorities. We considered the days to come and the defeat of one of our most ferocious enemies, and that would be the enemy of fear. And that brings us to today and hopefully to our desired destination, to the land of extravagant generosity where God calls us to be. But before we explore this new land, this land of extravagant generosity, I want us to jump back to this fear factor thing for a moment or two. There's been much written about that and much said, but I think considering this year that we've been through and all that we've been through together as a church and as a nation and so many other things, I want us to think about fear for a moment. Andy Stanley wrote a a little book a while back called Fields of Gold. It's a book about stewardship. It's a small book, a short book. I want to encourage you to read it, recommend it to you. He said, if you experiment with generosity long enough, sooner or later, you'll come face to face with fear. As frightening as it may seem at times, God gives us financial seed for one purpose, sowing. Unless we open our palms and let the seeds fly, we'll never know what God might bring from it. He said, I've talked to hundreds of people, probably thousands by now, who also want to make a difference with their possessions. And he said, like me, they're all wondering the same thing. How can I get on, get in on what God's up to financially in this world and how much will it cost me to do so the struggle between fear and generosity is so real you can almost see that internal wrestling match the solution to the tension lies in changing our day of ownership who really owns your possessions And who's calling the shots for you financially? If you believe that everything truly belongs to God, then you have nothing to fear after all. And if God is the source of all wealth, and if God controls the comings and goings of your money, then there's no reason, he says, not to give. Are you prepared to leave fear behind and take advantage of the law with a harvest by inviting God to get involved in your finances. He says money is often the last door that we open to God because money represents our security. But if you really want to be secure financially, you need to involve God as soon as possible. The sooner you start sowing seeds, the sooner you begin to reap a harvest. Those words are so simple and so true. Extravagant generosity. If I had to choose one verse of scripture that encapsulated love and the heart and generosity, it would be the gospel verse that Terry read for us just a moment ago and and you read along as well. For God so loved, God gave. God so loved, God 
gave. The first few words of this well-known verse from John's gospel clearly state that God shows God's love for the world by giving. Giving is part of the character of God. It's part of the nature of God. And we are called to have God's image restored in us. Bishop Robert Snaes put it this way in his book, Five Practices of Fruitful Living. He wrote several books along the same line, Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. But five practices of fruitful living, and, and these practices are aimed at individuals and at families as well. He said, we give because we're made in the image of God whose nature is giving. We are created with God's nature and printed on our souls. We are hardwired, he said, to be social, compassionate, connected, loving, and generous. And the way this pandemic has cut into our being able to socialize and be together has hurt us, I believe, in more ways than we know as a church and as families individually. But we are hardwired for those things to be generous, he said. God's extravagant generosity is part of our essential nature. It's who we are down deep. But we are anxious and fearful and we're influenced by a culture that always wants us to believe that we never have enough. And we are scarred, he said, by habits that draw us away from God, that turn us inward with a corrosive self-interest. God sent Jesus Christ to bring us back to ourselves and back to God. And then the entire teaching of 2 Corinthians passage that, that led up to chapter 8 and verse 24 that we read a moment ago, Paul concludes that giving is proof of the evidence of God's love. God doesn't require our generosity. When we truly accept the generous, generous gift of God's love, our only possible response It's to give generously. When God pours God's love into our hearts graciously, generously, and we don't deserve that, what else are we going to do except become generous people? Is it possible to love God without giving? Is it possible to be a follower of Jesus Christ without being generous? Let's think about those things. Daily Hope is a devotional that comes from Rick Warren and some of you are familiar with him in the Saddleback Church and in California that he started so many years ago and one of those devotionals he says faithful people are generous people and um, I like what he had to say just a brief paragraph and then five principles and I know we won't remember all of those but maybe if one of them sticks with you and speaks to your heart today then it's it's worth sharing this He said, faithful people are generous people when they don't have anything to give. Anybody can be generous when they have a surplus. He said, I can be generous with my time when I have extra time. And I can be generous with my money when I've got a lot of extra money. I can be generous with my energy when I've got energy to spend. It's when I don't have enough time for me. I don't have enough money for me. I don't have enough energy for me. I don't have enough talent for me that God says this is a test. I'm watching you to see if you'll be faithful. Will you be faithful? Will you trust me, God, ask each of us. Five principles that God, in which God will test us and bless us. One, God gives to generous people. 
Two, obeying God's vision will bring God's provision. Three, when I do all that God tells me to do, God does what I cannot do. I like that one. And when I have a need, I sow a seed. That one's easy to remember. It rhymes so well. And then there's always a delay between sowing and reaping. Will you be generous to give when you have little? Will you keep on doing the right thing? Will you do what God calls you to do no matter the cost? And then see what God does. A few more thoughts now as we consider extravagant generosity. Some from different folks. And then I want to share with you from my own heart about how I view extravagant generosity and how I've been blessed by it across the years. But Bishop Snaes, going back to him for just a moment, said people who practice, it, who practice extravagant generosity do not give from a what remains mentality, but from a what comes first priority. We don't give to God and other folks just from our leftovers. We give because it is a priority. Giving seriously becomes a personal spiritual discipline, and it's a means of helping the church to fulfill the mission that God has called it to in this world. Extravagant does not correspond with giving that is merely dutiful. Extravagant denotes a style and an attitude that is expectantly or unexpectedly joyous. Extravagant generosity is given to God as God has given to us. That's bottom line that's what this is all about and I can say it in so many different ways and you can hear it differently but God gives to us that we might give to others people who express express extravagant generosity change their lives to become more generous they want their giving to make a difference and they care They grow in the grace of giving. They learn. They take small steps until tithing and beyond. The first 10% becomes a natural thing. They advocate outward-focused ministry. And then he spoke these words, and I underlined them in my notes, and I put asterisk beside them. They speak to me. Maybe they speak to some folk in this church and others as well. He said, people who practice extravagant generosity do not wait to be asked. They never expect to be catered to or begged by other church leaders to do their share. They do not give to control the church, but to support it. They give extravagantly with conviction. They are motivated by a desire to make a difference rather than by guilt or fear or a desire for recognition or to manipulate others. They give with humility. They draw toward others and others they draw toward generosity and toward God. They teach their children and their grandchildren to give, mentoring them by example on how to and this sounds like something that that Dave Ramsey and others would say is common sense stuff. We teach our children and grandchildren to earn honestly, to save carefully, to spend prudently, and to give lavishly. Folk who practice extravagant generosity look at difficult financial times through the eyes of faith rather than fear. They enjoy giving. 
They delight in generosity. They accept appreciation graciously when it comes, but they do not long for it. They do not pine for it, for acknowledgement or thanks. They give expecting nothing in return. They learn to enjoy things without possessing them, to find satisfaction in simple things. They avoid personal debt as much as possible. They save, they avoid overindulgence. Their possessions do not rule them. They aspire, like Paul, to know the secret of being content with whatever they have. They live with a sense of gratitude. They give thanks in all circumstances. Love is a gift. And life is grace. They delight in receiving money, find pleasure in its responsible use, and experience joy in giving to God's purposes. They do not become too attached and are not stopped, deceived, slowed, misled, or detoured in following Christ by the possession of money. They're rich toward God. They or we discover that something as ordinary as giving can lift souls to heaven and change lives for the purposes of Christ. And isn't that what we are about as the church? Through our generosity, God can do extraordinary things. Through our giving, God can change other lives and can transform our lives and our hearts as well. All these guys that I've been sharing some of their thoughts this morning, Andy Stanley, Rick Warren, Bishop Snaes, and now I want to share a little bit of the testimony from my own heart. Don't think for a moment that I would put myself in company with these theological, scholarly, pastoral heavyweights. I don't belong in their league. And I would never be so presumptuous. But I do believe that we all have a story to tell. And I also believe that in the eyes and ears of God, your story and my story are as significant as anyone else's. Therefore... Do tell. I grew up, I was blessed to grow up in a church-going family. But my mother and dad made sure we were there every Sunday. They gave freely of their time. They always put an envelope in the offering plate. I never knew exactly what they were giving and how much dollars in that day and this day, how that all compares. But I do know that they were invested in God's work and God's church. And I have a lot of growing up memories in that church. And one of the ones that has stuck with me, and I think about it a lot, my dad and a guy named Delmas Williamson, it was their task most every year to go through that church building in Atlanta, late September, early October, and make sure all the little space heaters in all the classrooms were working properly. Make sure the pilot lights were lit and all that kind of thing. And I can remember being up there with them in the evening and it was a big, I thought it was the biggest church building in the world at the time. I know now that certainly was not the case. But to be up there at night when there was no one else around, to be up there with my dad and, and Delmas as they checked those furnaces, checked those heaters, and gave them their time. And I remember that. That stuck with me. That's such a little thing and a minor thing. But the giving of our time to make a difference, things that are important. And then after my grandmother Robinson's funeral service in that church and my dad and his siblings were going through her things and they found in her purse an envelope that she had planned to take to church the Sunday 
the next Sunday. She died the previous Sunday. And so I remember going by the church and, and taking that envelope in and leaving it there. And that's made an impression on me. She had no idea, I don't think, that her life would soon be over. But giving was just such a part of who she was. And then I think about Bill and Betty, my, my dad and my mom, and what they went through. And how hard they worked to see that I was able to go to college and the seminary. First person in our family to to have a college degree and they were going to do whatever it took. And I don't know that they ever paid off all of that indebtedness. And then when I became a student pastor in Waco, Georgia, and I knew I had to talk about giving and preach about it, but I, I was giving. We were giving at the time, but not tithing. So we had a conversation at home and decided it was the right thing to do and began tithing that day so many years ago, 1977, 78, and have never looked back. And all the acts of generosity that have come my way across the years. One church in particular in Royston, Georgia, decided that their pastor who had never been to the Holy Land needed to go. So they provided a way for me to go and for my wife to go as well. And I guess what still impresses me the most about that is the airline ticket they bought me was a round trip ticket. (laughs) Folks have been so good to me. And tithing is so much a part of my life and, and beyond looking for ways to support the work of this church with whatever comes along. Looking in this year to come to support the ministry of the Noonan First United Methodist Church and to help in this year strong without getting into any amounts by doubling up on our pledge for these last two months and then adding a gift as well. Some folks are not at a place where you can do that right now, but look into your own hearts. Listen for what God is is calling you to do. There's a guy named Bob Dotson wrote a book about ordinary people doing extraordinary things in America. And um, one of the stories he told was about Jim and Marty Dwyer. They're from Fort Collins, Colorado. And let me just summarize that that story very quickly. They adopted several children from Vietnam and they talked about how in these children's past there, parents some had to put them on a boat sometimes and send them out in a small boat on the uncertain ocean with the hope that there was a better life for them out there somewhere and Marty after they had all these kids in their home looking back on how the children got to this land he said you must love your kids an awful lot to ask them to risk their Lives, And I thought about John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You must love your kids an awful lot. God must love this world and you and me and this church an awful lot to risk the life of an only son. For God so loved the world, God gave. The heart of giving, extravagant generosity. How is it with our hearts this day? Amen.